The post-trade deadline Discover Central and a Touch of True North edition should have a blockbuster trade for this week's intro, right? Yeah, it doesn't. But we will explain throughout why it didn't and the race for fourth. That said, our GM deadline day winner of Chicago, Dallas, Nashville, and Winnipeg of the focus teams in this podcast is Chicago GM Stan Bowman, and we will tell you why. And I ask, what should the NHL be borrowing from Major League Baseball as soon as next year? Here's a hint. It's old school. Welcome to Central Division Hockey, the podcast this week. Discover Central and a touch of True North Edition. It's a look at the three teams that stayed in the Central Division of the eight that will make up the Central Division in 2021-22 and the lone Canadian team, Winnipeg, that is playing way up north. I'm your host, Tim Bigelow. This podcast was recorded Friday, April 16th. The Discover Central focuses on Chicago, Dallas, and Nashville with the original three Central Division teams we follow. Just a reminder, the Discover Central is not the namesake this program will properly and accurately be named for beginning next year. Winnipeg playing in the North is tagged onto this edition to make a four-team Central Division split because covering this condensed season, I realized, is like running a gauntlet, so I split it evenly into four teams over two podcasts to cover the eight teams in the Central Division for this season. With the interdivisional play, Chicago, Dallas, and Nashville play Tampa Bay, Carolina, Florida, Columbus, and Detroit. So they are often in the game summaries, and we do acknowledge where those teams are against the teams we cover competitively. For our focused teams, welcome to what should now be titled Going for Fourth. As for Winnipeg, they play the other six Canadian teams. It's kind of like the Canadian Football League in a hockey format. Actually, they should have made the Canadian teams play on double IHF ice surface size this year, and it would have accomplished mirroring the CFL even more. Canadians watch the NFL just as much, if not more, than the CFL. The NHL should keep this in mind to get the league geographically reorganized next season. I had a rant in the West Division podcast about the inception of this podcast and the coverage of the NHL beyond a division of play. You can go check that out. It's a podcast just before this one. Here's what I do like. I like the divisional play setup. That, to me, was great for the rivalries. The sets of games also added to this were better from a travel point of view for the NHL. The only drawback to me was the geographical nightmare that was having all the Canadian teams in one division. It is planned for the current division alignment to last this season and then go back to a more overall geographical, logical one again for next season. I, for one, absolutely want the NHL to do this. However, there are things that can be kept to me such as the sets of games against teams, and shall we say, I actually like the heavy divisional component next season if they were to keep it. This interdivisional play, of course, may have reminded some of Major League Baseball sets of games in its format. Well, that leads me to suggest the NHL borrows the old conference-style only play baseball had 
before interdivisional play. I, for one, am a baseball purist, which nobody knows because I barely ever talk about it. Therefore, I was always a National League over an American League viewer. I like good pitching, and I like when pitchers have to take their turn at the plate when they have to bat. I thought the American League designated hitter was lame. I always have, and I always will. And interleague games have probably had me watch less baseball than more of it. When Major League Baseball did have National League and American League only play, I could watch the National League designated hitterless brand of pro baseball up until the World Series, of course, when they would have to do the split depending on who was the home team. I think at 32 teams, 16 apiece, the NHL should think of scrapping the two-game, one-home, one-away game versus the other conference and make a divisional-heavy and otherwise conference-only regular season schedule with the two-game or more set format they went with this year for next year. For the playoffs, I do think the league should return to its wildcard format just in case one division is stronger than the other. But if you did a conference-only schedule, the integrity of that playoff format would remain completely intact. Also, think of the finals where the teams won't have met the obligatory minimum, but actually not at all. I think back to the excitement of the old Soviet series versus Canada, which technically is before my time, but before the Soviets allowed their players in the NHL, the best part of the rivalry, it seems to me, that created was because they never had, in fact, the chance to face off against each other. That unknown factor made it more must-watch than if those players had all been playing in the NHL. For that reason, I don't mind the unknown intrigue of the division champions not having played against each other this year, nor the finalist till the final. The interdivisional play was a little too much of the same teams, but you absolutely can't follow the whole league anyways. No one can watch every NHL game. So my suggestion would be that old Major League Baseball style conference split. That might harken back to a league with half the teams in it. That expansion, of course, made well at some moment twice as big really it's been days long gone as far as the original six so two 16 team regular season conference circuits might actually build and maintain the rivalries and still have a happy medium of variety that's kind of the keeping the best parts to me of this one-off nhl season and a little shall we say expansion onto it for next season that's all for now. Let's get back to the current stretch run in the Discover Central and back on topic. As Tampa Bay, Carolina, and Florida hold the top three spots in perpetuity since what feels like since the league suggested this one-off division year format, here's the updated look at the three-team lock atop the Discover Central by the Eastern-influenced top-tier teams to this division. Carolina is first by point percentage, 714 point percentage, 60 points, 42 games played, 
tied in points with second-place Tampa Bay with a 698-point percentage, 60 points, 43 games played, and third-place Florida with a 670-point percentage, 59 points, 44 games played. That is going into Saturday's games. I am always optimistic that the podcast is up before the teams play Saturday. It is yet to happen this year. So just remember that's going into Saturday's games as the cutoff for this podcast was last Thursday. As I said last week, the incentive for finishing first is to not have to play either team that is vying currently of the three for it, but instead the team that nabs the fourth and final playoff spot instead. That's a real desired outcome for the three of these teams, Tampa Bay, Carolina, and Florida, because the other two the two versus three first round matchup series in the Discover Central may in fact be the best series of the entire playoffs. This looks to go down to the wire and it definitely has added an interesting layer to the division, a top tier race and a race for fourth and the final playoff spot. Our three focus teams are as of this week, the three in the mix for that fourth final playoff spot. This week's order is being done by point percentage. Nashville remains sitting in the fourth and final Discover Central playoff spot with a 544 point percentage. They split their four-game week, but won an important head-to-head versus Dallas. Dallas, with a 524 point percentage, had arguably the best week of our three focus teams, including no regulation losses, going 2-0-2, but it didn't effectively gain them much ground in the standings, other than the potential games in hand now, if all one, do factor in them being able to catch Nashville. Chicago, sixth in the division with a 5-11 point percentage, does have one more point than Dallas in two additional games played. Chicago went 2-1-0, but dropped their last game to Detroit that would have helped them gain key points. This is the first edition for the Discover Central teams since the trade deadline last Monday. Absolutely no surprises here for our focus teams, but I will touch on what each of them did in their respective segments. For real, almost forgot Winnipeg is tagged on after in this edition. We will look at their 3-1-0 week. That has them three points out of first in the North Division. That point total would have them three points out of first in the Discover Central too, but actually in fourth spot. I often forget, point-wise, Winnipeg has had a better season than all of the three teams that stayed in the Central Division we cover. So, Nashville, Dallas, and Chicago should be happy that the Winnipeg team doesn't reside in Georgia still. Could you imagine what a swap for Winnipeg and Detroit divisionally would have been for the Discover Central this year? Here's the expanded standings look at Nashville for this week who went 2-2-0. Nashville, 544 point percentage, fourth. Since the last podcast, 2-2-0, going overall now 24-20-1. 45 games played, 49 points, 120 goals for, 127 goals against for a minus 7 goal differential. Nashville starts Saturday with a shutout loss to the defending Stanley Cup champs. Here's the game summary. Saturday, April 10th, 3-0 loss versus Tampa Bay. 26 seconds into the first, Mikhail Grandlin is stopped on a 2-on-1 by Tampa Bay goalie Andre Vasilevsky. 
6.45, Tampa Bay opened the scoring. A stretch pass for a two-on-one put five-hole on a pass to the slot that beats Nashville goalie Pekka Rene. Nashville's Colton Sissons and Rocco Grimaldi both are stopped net front twice. The final stop with six minutes remaining in the frame. 4.21 left, a Nashville given goal chance by Rem Pitlick is stopped. 58 seconds left, Tampa Bay goalie Vasilevsky bats out a Nashville shot on goal on the power play by Grimaldi off of a Tampa Bay defenseman. Nashville outshoots Tampa Bay 18-5 in the first period and trail 1-0 to Tampa Bay after one. A minute, 28 seconds into the second, Nashville goalie Rene makes a big stop. 2.40 in, Nashville goalie Rene makes a pad stop on a Tampa Bay slot shot. 3.36 in, Nashville's Luke Cunnan's backhand on a drive to the net front is stopped. 3.58, Nashville goal on a Ryan Ellis point shot goes in. Tampa Bay challenge for offside. After review, it is confirmed Ellis did take the point shot completely on the other side of the blue line. Puck, stick, and his body all are in the neutral zone. No goal. 6.30 in Nashville's Victor Arvidsson cuts across the crease, but he can't tuck it in. 10.05 in Nashville's Hunnan rings the iron far side. With 5.56 left, the Tampa Bay point shot ricochets off of a Nashville stick and body to get past Rene for a Tampa Bay goal. Just over a minute left, Nashville's Grimaldi can't jam a puck in the paint past Tampa Bay goalie Vasilevsky. 2-0 Tampa Bay through 2. 16 seconds into the third, Tampa Bay off the rush forces Nashville goalie Rene to make a stop. 11.52 left, Nashville goalie Rene makes a shorthanded save from the slot. Nashville kills off a two-man advantage for Tampa Bay midway through the third. 7.26 left, Nashville's Arvidsson is poke-checked by Tampa Bay goalie Vasilevsky. Tampa Bay adds an empty net goal with 46 seconds left. 23 seconds left, Nashville's Michael McCarron elbows Tampa Bay's Yanni Gord and gets a 10-minute misconduct while he fights Tampa Bay's Barclay Goudreau, who gets a roughing penalty. Tampa Bay goalie Vasilevsky makes 36 saves in the 3-0 shutout Tampa Bay win for his fourth of the year. 36-34 shots for Nashville. Nashville goalie Rene, two goals against, 31 saves in the loss. Both teams 0-3 on the power play. Ryan Ellis returned after a 20-game absence, coincidentally identical to the game's missed in a stretch last year in the regular season. He played 19 minutes, 43 seconds time on ice, which was the third most of the Nashville defensemen in that game. Nashville game perspective, Tampa Bay got the above average goaltending or Vesna trophy caliber goaltending from Andre Vasilevsky. Rene actually gave Nashville a chance to win playing very well. Vasilevsky didn't give Nashville a chance to win even more so. The next night in extra time, Nashville secure the all-important extra point in the head-to-head versus Dallas. Here's the game's summary. Sunday, April 11th, a 3-2 shootout win versus Dallas. We start with the all-important face-off stats here. In honor of color commentators, Nashville's Chris Mason and Dallas's Daryl Ray, who are always noting their importance to goals scored and goals allowed, that I have a couple of West Edition podcasts ago referred to as the most overvalued stat in hockey. I will just point out off of a Nashville defensive zone clean face-off win 
a Nashville defensive zone turnover following it allowed Dallas to open the scoring at 446. Dallas's Rope Hints high slot one-timer goes short side past Nashville goalie UC Soros. 10.57 in Nashville's Ryan Ellis far side wrister goes posted in from inside the offensive zone blue line this time. 6.58 left Dallas's Andrew Cogliano hits Nashville defenseman Matias Ekholm. Nashville's Victor Arvidsson takes exception to it and fights Cogliano. The 5-9 Arvidsson squaring off with the 5-10 Cogliano in defense of the charging hit on the 6-4 Ekholm. So, uh, would you call it a welterweight fight? I really don't know my boxing. I don't know, but can we get some Lady Bing award nom? buzz going for Ekholm. That's the takeaway from that. 348 Dallas's slot shot by Joe Pavelski is stopped. 143 left Nashville's Ekholm is stopped on a backhand driving to the net. 1-0 after 1. 209 into the second. Nashville goal off of the Nashville forecheck. Yakov Trenin's top of circle wrister beats Dallas goalie Anton Hudobin 5-hole through a screen. 104 left, Dallas defenseman Jamie Oleksiak from his own defensive zone starts a rush, goes through three Nashville defenders, and goes forehand short side lifted to beat Nashville goalie Saros for a beauty of a goal. Two all through two. 11.52 left in the third, Nashville get a defensive zone clear after Dallas had pinned Nashville in their defensive zone, missed the net twice, and failed to take advantage of the offensive zone time. 5.33 left, Nashville goalie Saros makes a save with his helmet on Dallas's Jason Robertson. Nashville's Roman Yossi drives the net, forcing Dallas goalie Hudobin to make a huge pad save to prevent it from being tucked in with 19 seconds left in regulation in a scoreless third. Two all going into overtime. 130 into overtime, Nashville's Arvidsson is stopped short side on overtime's best scoring chance. Skills competition for the all-important extra point goes to Nashville. Ryan Johansson is the only one to score. 3-2 shootout win Nashville. Shots 26-20 Dallas. Nashville over one Dallas over three with the power play. Nashville goalie Saros, two goals against, 24 saves for the shootout win. Dallas goalie Hudobin, two goals against, 18 saves for the shutout loss. Nashville game perspective. Nashville got above average goaltending from UC Saros as Dallas outplayed them, but also failed to gain an edge on two extra power play opportunities as Nashville went three for three on the penalty kill. Nashville continued finding ways to get the extra point. Nashville has one overtime shootout loss. Dallas has 12 of them. Who would you be picking come skills competition time? Full marks to Nashville to get the game to where they have overachieved and Dallas has underachieved this season. Tampa Bay's backup gets blitzed by Nashville in a blowout win over Tampa Bay. Let's look at the game summary. Tuesday, April 13th, a 7-2 win versus Tampa Bay. 3.50 into the first, Nashville's Matthias Ekholm's top of circle blast goes off the short side post. 6.38, Nashville gets a goal. Colton Sissons from the dot off the rush goes short side top shelf on Tampa Bay goalie Curtis McElhenney. McElhenney starts a net for Tampa Bay. 8.05 in Nashville's Roman Yossi, while Nashville makes a line change, enters the Tampa Bay defensive zone one against four and forces Tampa Bay goalie McElhenney to make a glove save. 26 seconds later, Nashville goal by Yossi off of a Tampa Bay neutral zone turnover on a two-on-one keep from the dot that beats Tampa Bay goalie McElhenney post 
and in far side blocker. 8.19 left, Nashville goalie UC Saros makes stops on the Tampa Bay shorthanded breakaway and two rebounds created off of it. 6.10 left, Nashville's Ryan Johansson's saucer pass on a two-on-one to Victor Arvidsson allows him to go short side roof on a one-timer goal on Tampa Bay goalie McElhinney. 3-0 Nashville after one. 41 seconds into the second Tampa Bay power play goal on a point shot that Nashville goalie Saros gets a piece of on the net front tip, but it finds its way to the back of the net. 7-13 in Nashville, goalie Saros, slot shot stop. 8-09 in Nashville's Rocco Gramado rebound tap-in put in before Tampa Bay goalie McElhinney gets a glove to stop the play on it. 12-28, Nashville's Eric Hollow gets two for slashing. Tampa Bay's Eric Chernak gets two roughing, and neither get any for wrestling. 4-1, Nashville through two. A second to the midpoint of the third. Nashville gets a goal. Arvidsson second. Low blocker short side posted in on a breakaway that beats Tampa Bay goalie McElhenney. The Nashville goal is set up by Yossi from his defensive zone goal line as he sends a stretch pass to Arvidsson, blowing the defensive zone. A minute, 29 seconds after, Tampa Bay's Yanni Gord highlights a rare shift for Tampa Bay on the night. He makes a hit in the offensive zone to get the puck in a battle in the Nashville defensive zone off the sideboards. He takes a shot on goal and competes to score on his own rebound in the slot on Nashville goalie Saros. 6.27 left, Nashville goalie Saros makes a pad save on a Nashville defensive zone turnover. 5.26, Nashville's Tanner Janot scores his first NHL goal on a slot shot rebound net side lifted past Tampa Bay goalie McElhinney. 3.26, Nashville scores another goal on Tampa Bay goalie McElhinney on a two-on-one for the 7-2 final. Shots 23-22 for Tampa Bay. Nashville 0 for 3, Tampa Bay 1 for 2 on the power play. Nashville goalie Saros, 2 goals against, 21 saves for the win. Tampa Bay goalie McElhinney, 7 goals against, 15 saves for the loss. Nashville game perspective. Tampa Bay goalie Curtis McElhinney provided below average goaltending for Tampa Bay. The rest of the analysis, I will leave you with a quote from Tampa Bay defenseman Ryan McDonough. To quote, tonight was an absolute embarrassment. This was one of the worst performances I've seen in a Lightning uniform from our group. He added, it was not even close to halfway effort. Defenseman McDonough has been with Tampa Bay since the 2018 trade deadline. Takeaway, Nashville got points because the other team didn't try to win with their backup goalie in net. You might even think Tampa Bay wants, having watched that game, Nashville to finish fourth most based on their non-performance. Top-tier team, Carolina, put together a complete home game win to start the two set against Nashville. Here's the game summary. Warning, both teams played this game, so if you are surprised by the sudden change in Nashville's results after beating the defending champions, well, Carolina showed up. Thursday, April 15th, 4-1 loss at Carolina. More than halfway through the first with 9.51 left. Nashville's Nick Cousins is stopped at the top of the paint on a great feed on a back pass from Rem Pitlick 
stopped by Carolina goalie Peter Mrazek. 134 left. Carolina creates a two-on-one by getting to a loose puck in the Nashville defensive zone on a dump-in. From the goal line, they flip it net front for a backhander goal lifted past Nashville goalie Saros. 1-0 Carolina after one. 14 seconds into the second, with teams playing 4-on-4, four four, Carolina go through the neutral zone with speed, through three Nashville players, and put a backhander against the green far side blocker. And by the way, it was Carolina's Andre Sveshnikov. 3.33 in after Carolina has a ton of offensive zone time, a slot shot blast forces Nashville goalie Saros to make a big glove save. 4.45 in Nashville's Yakov Trenin, short side is stopped off the Nashville cycle. 5.34 in, Carolina go off the rush, up the wing. A fake shot, a purposeful shot off of Nashville goalie Saros's pad to create a rebound that is lifted forehand short side over Saros for the goal. 13.31 left, Carolina goalie Morazic makes a big glove save on Nashville's Rocco Grimaldi's shot from the circle. 3.37 left, Nashville's Ekholm. Oops, well, so much for the Lady Bing nom I was talking about earlier. And Carolina's Shvesnikov get two-minute holding penalties in lieu of the NHL not having headlock or wrestling penalties in the rule book while the two battled net front. 2.36 left Carolina from the circle, ring the far side post. 3-0 Carolina through two. 9.30 into the third, Nashville's Eric Hall nets a shorthanded goal on a breakaway, glove side lifted. With 7.38 left, Hall can't score short side from the wing off another rush. 3.09 left, Nashville take a too many men penalty. With 2.38 left, Carolina get a power play goal on a cross crease pass for a net side one-timer short side goal. Carolina outshoots Nashville 29-20 in their 4-1 win. Nashville 0 for 4, Carolina 1 for 3 on the power play. Nashville goalie Saros, 4 goals against, 25 saves in a loss. Nashville game perspective, Carolina is an elite NHL team. They came to play. Nashville did not generate enough offensive zone pressure, though they had some good looks, as I mentioned. Still, 20 shots on Carolina goalie Peter Morazic isn't nearly enough unless Nashville goalie UC Saros puts up a shutout. And after a stretch dating back to February 9th, 15 games where he has allowed two goals or less and one game with three goals against, he gave up four against an elite NHL team that's going to be in the playoffs. Nashville needed to generate more offense, and that's tough to do against a team that is extremely consistently good, such as Carolina-coached Rob Brindamore's team is. Nashville's overall analysis. I start with Nashville to keep their fan base blissfully ignorant to the reality, and it is on purpose solely because of two things. Nashville is 5-0-0 versus Chicago this year, and after one more game Saturday with Carolina, Nashville plays three against Chicago. If they go 3-1-0 over this stretch, it just might be enough with a couple of wins against Columbus to finish the season to allow this team to get into the playoffs. To be clear, albeit ever slightly, both Dallas and Chicago had a better week than Nashville's 2-2-0 that honestly could have been four losses. 
the two wins, one versus Dallas in extra time, is because of Nashville goalie UC Soros' above average play. The other versus Tampa Bay is because Tampa Bay actually didn't try to win the game. So quickly to summarize this blissfully ignorant, Nashville is the best team right now in the NHL narrative. Forget the Carolina game where Soros finally came down from the outer worldly planet he has been playing on. And for Nashville, let's hope he goes back to that planet for another week at least. Secondly, simply beating Chicago, who have decided rebuilding Trump's a four-game first-round sweep playoff appearance as a great course of action while getting average goaltending from rookie goalie Kevin Lankinen. And, well, really, as long as Nashville, on the backs of Soros, wins out that head-to-head with Chicago, that looks to give them the goaltending advantage, and it really could provide them a playoff appearance as a B-list celebrity. And GM David Poyle can save face for his disastrous offseason and playoff promise to the fan base that was way off base to be promising in the first place. And that is why, by the way, I think I would rather see Dallas or Chicago end up in fourth this year. Not because of the players, nor the coach, and not for the fans, but simply because of Nashville's GM. Truthfully, UC Soros, when he came back from injury, provided above-average goaltending, and there was no precedent for him being able to do this. The team's turnaround is solely based on this, so good for Soros, and in a short sample size, he is putting up his best numbers ever in his career. The injuries both took out good-performing players such as franchise Phil Forsberg, who in 34 games played is technically still the team's leading goal scorer with 11 goals, although two teammates now share that distinction, and it took out bad-performing players such as Matt DeShane, who has three goals in 23 games played. It allowed for, before he was hurt, rookie Ellie Tovalin to get meaningful minutes by default, and he has 10 goals in 31 games played. It also allowed Yakov Trenin to play the fourth line, something we actually hope would happen prior to the season beginning, and to be honest, he should have been in that spot to open the season. The emergence of Alex Carrier and later Jeremy Davies on defense they got a shot to show they actually have more value than off-season vet signings of injured Mark Borowiecki and Matt Benning. Now, GM Poyle stands pat on moving his vet players and adds adept D-man at the deadline. That is the same tired story two years running. But for a seventh-round pick to Ottawa, well, given the injury, I don't know, it's plausible, Eric Gobranson, 29.65, in 18 minutes, 4 seconds average time on ice with Ottawa, in 36 games played, has 3 points and 47 penalty minutes. Also, his plus-minus is a minus 13, albeit on the North Division's worth team. However, to me, this just screams that it's the Anaheim deal for Kabinian Holzer or this off-season signings of Burwicky and Benning all over the same tire doesn't move the dial one iota depth defenseman edition. I'm actually tired of talking about it. Nashville stood pat, essentially, for this team. The positive, 
They didn't deal one of the tripod away. Matthias Ekholm, who from a defensive defenseman standpoint, is their best defenseman. Now, Yossi and Ellis, who offensively get the spotlight, are exactly the type of defenseman that GM Poyle keeps saying he needs to complement with big body defensemen which is basically Ekholm. But the number that are like Ekholm, that are complete players with size, is a lot harder to obtain unless you're drafting them. They are not found at the deadline or off-season from basement-dwelling non-playoff teams. The negative. The Matt DeShane signing is a bust. So is wasting cap space on small workmen like Mikhail Granlin. To be honest, you all don't realize it, but Philip Tomasino is closer than you think to being a better second center option than DeShane is. And Rocco Grimaldi could do what Granlin does for a lot less cap space that could be invested in some other player. That's the lowlights of how much of a fail this deadline was for GM David Poyle. As for the coaches system, it does work better without star players than with it. Their creativity has to be put out of structure. That's why with above average goaltending and actually less star power, Nashville went on a run. Trouble is, what is Nashville worth watching for? Soros playing above average for as long as it lasts, and Rene for the nostalgia that he was really a Vesna caliber goalie in his prime. The tripod that has two primarily offensive D-men that, like Arvidsson's defensive zone exit, not part of the coach's system skill play, are wanted less of than more of. There is a lack of offense because of the personnel the team signed. Re-signing Granlin will continue that tradition as will not cutting the losses on Matt DeShane, whose best roster position is clearly been shown to be on long-term injured reserve. The forwards I like, Forsberg play is out of the system creative. Arvidsson's ability to cheat and his speed are actually hindered in this prevent neutral zone team game instead of the fast breakouts like Colorado plays. This team wants to play defensively like Anaheim or even Columbus without the personnel or the size. And I should mention Yakov Trenin is the exception. He has size, but he also has skills. Forsberg, Tovalin, Tomasino, Arvidsson, who will be with Trenin, really this team's offense by next year, should be in a Chicago-like fast breakout structure or Colorado because it's D-men like Chicago's Adam Volquist and Colorado's Sam Gerrard that actually are like Yossi and Ellis. There's not Dallas's Jamie Oleksiak or Columbus's Seth Jones currently on Nashville. I will have to pick up on this at the end of the season for Nashville fans and fill it all out. I don't have hopes for a retool from a GM who clearly doesn't know how to on a team that absolutely hits home runs drafting year after year. So anytime they have more picks, the better. Prolonging the actual rebuild was so GM Poyle who luckily GMs in a non-traditional hockey market that no one actually sees that this really does set the organization back further 
but it's the GM who's lost the vision. It's a loss for what should be retooled around with this team, but good luck when it's repeatedly misevaluated as to who the core is and a coach that is stifling that talent for a system instead. John Hines would be a great coach for Anaheim. In fact, the less skill, the better. But what does that do for the Nashville skill that they do have? Nashville's team metrics down two spots from 24th to a tie for 26th in goal scores at 2.56 per game. To note, the hard numbers are identical to last week. Up a spot 15th from 16th in goals allowed at 2.82 for the second consecutive week. That rank bumped up. The forsberg tovalin less power play dropped to a tie for 21st from 15th spot and a 19.2 success percentage. The BK remained 28th at a 74.5% kill success rate. Nashville's useless factoid. The NHL should just stop awarding the three stars. In a 3-2 shootout win, Ryan Johansson was the first star with his zero goal, zero assist night during the actual pre-skills competition. Arizona has done this a couple of times this year, but add Nashville to the list. Unless it's a zero-all game where you can name both goalies, first and second star, and the shooter winning goal scorer, the third star, stop picking a shootout goal scorer first in a game where the stats line for them is otherwise donuts. Pick the two goalies or a guy who had goals such as Alice Trennan that got the game to extra time in the first place i feel bad complaining about this for all i know they let a young fan pick the stars that night but it very well could have been an accredited media person who is an adult and either way the three stars in the nhl games have lost all credibility the nhl should just rename them the three hometown fan favorites for the game point is stop picking guys with no goals and assists and shootouts what i really want is no shootouts at all Thumbs up. As I said last week, this will most likely have a reserve parking sign with UC Saros's name on it for the rest of the season. In Saros's last 12 games, where he was 10-2-0 before the loss to Carolina that I don't put on him, Saros had a .958 save percentage. The answer to Nashville making the playoffs is simply on how well UC Saros can play the rest of the way out. Thumbs down. The too many men on the ice penalty in the 4-1 loss to Carolina with 3.09 left to play. Not that Nashville was going to come back, but still, a late bench minor in a 3-1 game led to a power play goal that ensured Nashville couldn't come back. And for our other weekly Nashville update, Nashville is 3-1 with Mikhail Grander-Lunchuk not in the lineup. They are 21-19-1 with him in the lineup this year, marking the second time this year both are over 500 to be continued. It's close with 11 games left to go. In additional news, the latest out of Nashville is a number of key players are week-to-week right now, including left winger Philip Forsberg, upper body, center Matt DeShane, lower body, center Brad Richardson, lower body, defenseman Mark Borowicki, upper body, left-hand defenseman Lucas Pisa, upper body, defenseman Alex Carrier, lower body, forward Ellie Tovalin, lower body, and defenseman Dante Fabro, upper body, and right winger Matthew Olivier, lower body. Defenseman Eric Goldbranson was out while getting immigration and potentially corn 
quarantine protocols completed before he can be activated. And I'm not sure. We don't really have a timeline on when that will all be done. Up next for Nashville, three games Saturday at Carolina, Monday versus Chicago, Wednesday and Friday at Chicago. We will cover the first two games of the three set against Chicago in the next podcast with our cutoff, the game's played on Thursday night. Simply, I don't expect unless UC Soros gets a shutout in Carolina, Nashville wins that game. The season series against Chicago, Nashville is a 5-0-0 and mostly because I expect UC Soros to play better than Chicago goalie Kevin Lankinen. I expect that season series trend will continue. If it doesn't and Chicago wins two of the three or more in regulation, that would turn Nashville's fortune into missing the playoffs. Nashville needs to win the games against Chicago, all three of them, to make the playoffs. We will look to move at Dallas next as their 2-0-2 week was the best of the three focus teams in the Discover Central. However, Nashville did win the one game head-to-head in extra time as we talked about in the Nashville segment. Here's Dallas's expanded Discover Central Division standings look. Dallas 524 point percentage fifth since the last podcast 2-0-2. Overall, that puts them 16-14-12. 42 games played, 44 points, 117 goals for, 108 goals against, a plus 9 goal differential. Dallas started the week with a key road win over Florida. Let's look at the game summary. Saturday, April 10th, 4-1 win at Florida. A minute in, Dallas Robertson opens the scoring off of a Florida defensive zone turnover as he goes far side roof blocker from the slot on Florida goalie Sergei Bobrovsky. Dallas's Joel Lesperance adds to it with a Dallas goal on a two-on-one elevated pass 49 seconds later. Dallas get a power play goal at 9.03. Jamie Benn puts it, skate to stick, roof off the glove and in from a slot soft spot inside the Florida penalty kill coverage box. 10-21 in Dallas goalie Anton Hudobin makes a save off of a Florida rush. 8-53 Dallas goalie Hudobin stops the breakaway. 1-12 left Florida wraparound attempt is also stopped. Two seconds left the Florida power play chance is stopped. 3-0 Dallas after one. 4-17 into the second Dallas's Andrew Cogliano. 2-on-1 keep is stopped. 2-08 left Dallas's Rope hints backhand on a breakaway is stopped while Dallas is on a power play. Florida get a power play goal on a net front second effort with two seconds left. 3-1 Dallas through two. 121 into the third, Jason Robertson gets his second of the night, a bar down wrister from the slot on a Florida turnover at the Dallas blue line. Dallas locks it down in the low event third for a 4-1 win. 21-20 shots for Florida, Dallas one for three, Florida one for four with the power play, Dallas goalie Hudobin, one goal against 20 saves for the win. Dallas game perspective. Dallas played a great first 10 minutes and was up two goals in less than 10 minutes and added a power play goal before the 10-minute mark as well. The low shot totals and prevent game stifled a Florida team trying to play catch-up. The late second period goal by Florida was responded by a quick third period goal that Dallas held Florida then to six low danger shots on goal in the final frame. When Coach Rick Bonus talks about playing Dallas Stars hockey, this game versus Florida would be a great example of what that should look like. The only notable third period play was really Dallas's fourth insurance goal. I could prop up Dallas summaries by highlighting numerous block shots when they play to their identity game. Jamie Oleksiak led the team with six. 
Asa Lindell had five, forwards Tanner Kiro and Radic Faxa had four blocks, shots apiece. Next, Dallas Falls in Nashville in a shootout, picking up the loser point. The game summary is in the Nashville segment. Sunday, April 11th, again, here's the score, 3-2 shootout loss at Nashville. The Dallas game perspective, slightly rewarded from the Nashville analysis, as it holds true for both teams. Nashville was a team that got above average goaltending from UC Soros, as Dallas outplayed them, but also failed to gain an edge on the two extra power play opportunities they had, as Nashville went 3-for-3 on the penalty kill. Dallas continued finding ways to not get the extra point. Nashville has one overtime shootout loss this year. Dallas has 12. Who would you be picking come skills competition time? Dallas needed to win this in regulation and wasn't able to. Dallas' extra time woes continued as Florida gets the extra point in Dallas's next game on the weekly schedule. Here's a game summary, Tuesday, April 13th, a 3-2 overtime loss at Florida. 8-16 into the first, Dallas goalie Anton Udobin stops in that front chance on a Florida 2-on-1 that draws a Dallas penalty. Florida take a penalty after, so the teams play 4-on-4. As that expires, Florida makes a cross-seam pass to the net front for a five-hole goal to open the scoring. 52 seconds after, Dallas get the equalizer as Jason Robertson's second effort from the slot goes short side shelf on Florida goalie Chris Dreger. 1-1 after 1. 2.45 into the second, Florida goal on a point shot that in the high slot is deflected by Dallas's Rhett Gardner stick that allows it to flutter off course and over and in. 2-1 Florida through 2. 5.48 into the third, Dallas's Andrew Cogliano is stopped point blank in the paint, shorthanded. 7.06 in, Dallas's Jamie Ben netside hits the post. 7.51 in, Dallas goalie Hudobin gets a glove on a Florida shot that then goes off the far side post and out. 8.26 on a rebound off the Florida post. Dallas gets a goal by power play Joe Pavelski as he bats in the rebound in the slot for the even strength tally. Just missing power play Pavelski lately. 9.47 left. Florida goalie Dreger reaches back on his goal line as the puck deflects off his defenseman in front of Dallas's Ben's shot stop to save a sure goal. 150 left. Dallas 2-on-1. Ben DePowalski. Florida goalie Dreger makes a key pad stop to force overtime. 115. Dallas's Ben loses positioning with Florida's Anthony Duclair exiting Florida's defensive zone with speed in overtime. So Ben Slewfoots him and takes a tripping penalty. 258 in, Dallas goalie Hudobin makes a pad stop from the slot shorthanded. 309, Florida get the overtime game-winning power play goal from the circle short side shelf. 31-26 shots, Florida. Dallas 0 for 3. Florida 1 for 4 with the power play. Dallas goalie Hudobin, 3 goals against 28 saves for the overtime loss. Dallas game perspective, the difference in this may in fact be Dallas having to open up to generate offense down 2-1 to one going into the third. It makes for more chances both ways, and Dallas did get the equalizer. Unfortunately, they also didn't get the go-ahead goal in regulation, but they came very close on more than one occasion. The overtime penalty that was a penalty is purely speed-based. Look, Dallas has more fleet of foot speed players than Jamie Benn. 
Florida's Anthony DeClaire is quick, and one of Florida's goals was with the teams playing 4-on-4. The other created a penalty with the teams playing 3-on-3 in overtime. Jamie Benn had a solid game, assisted on both Dallas goals, and had Dreger not reached back in the third to save the puck on the goal line, that would have been Ben's goal, and that would have won the game in regulation. Still, watching him play three-on-three, he becomes more of a liability. Dallas has speed players, tons of both on forward and defense. Those are the guys that have to play the overtime in today's NHL. I don't know with a heart team leader like Ben, who bleeds for this Dallas team, who was having a great game and is a beast five on five and with his net front presence ability. But the keep away overtime game is built around speed in the NHL now. And Ben is best to let his teammates play that overtime game. Not sure anyone wants to have that conversation with Ben, but it's Dallas missing the extra point on that penalty because Ben knows Declare with speed is gone once he gets by. However, Robertson, Hints, Haskinen, and Dallas's other players I can list all could probably catch Declare in that same spot without taking the penalty. More ice means more speed and skill is required. Dallas returns home and takes the first of two versus Columbus to finish off the week. Here's the game summary. Thursday, April 15th, a 4-1 win versus Columbus. 7-16 into the first, Columbus has a 5-on-3 rush that allows for a net front tap and goal to open the scoring on Dallas goalie Jake Oninger. At first, I thought it was a 4-on-3, but the replay showed clearly a 5-on-3 that, well, I haven't watched every Columbus game, but it was the first that I've seen from them in the three teams we do cover them play against as far as having that type of a rush. 3.52 left, Dallas's best chance is created off of an offensive zone sideboard battle win, but Jason Dickinson puts it off the short side post from the low circle. one nothing Columbus after one. 6.59 into the second, Dallas's Joe Pavelski is stopped off the rush by Columbus goalie Elvis Merzlikens on his shot from the circle. 7.50 in, Columbus goalie Merzlikens eats up a Dallas shot pass redirect that front by Radic Faxa. 10.31 and with 8.03 left, Dallas goalie Ottinger makes saves on Columbus slot shots. 3.18 left, Dallas's Dickinson keeps it in at the Columbus blue line. Off the rebound, Dallas get a goal on a lifted backhand tucked in by Dennis Gurianov. 2.31 left, Dallas's Jamie Oleksiak can't score short side on an offensive zone pinch. 1.59 left, Dallas defenseman Miro Haskinen from the top of the circle goes high center slot and scores on a wrister far blocker side off the cycle. 2-1 Dallas through 2. 1.21 into the third, Dallas goalie Ottinger stops Columbus off the rush chance. 6.40 in, Dallas's Faxa's backhander in the slot is stopped. 8.16 in, Dallas gets a goal from the corner along the goal line. Gurianov gets his second as he fires it net front where it goes off a Columbus D-man's knee and into the open Columbus net. 3.52 left, a Columbus defensive zone turnover gets a Dallas cycle game going. In the net front battle, Dallas's Rope Hints puts a pass between his legs for Joe Pavelski, who nets the Dallas goal short side lifted. 
Columbus was held to six shots in the third in the 4-1 Dallas win. 31-18 shots for Dallas for the game. Both teams 0-1 on the power play. Dallas goalie Ottinger, one goal against, 17 saves for the win. Dallas game perspective. Like the other Dallas regulation win, they are up heading into the third. And why I mentioned the low shots on goal in the third that they give up. But it actually was indicative of the whole game. Dallas took advantage of their opportunities and gave up fewer. The offense generated playing Dallas Stars defensive first structure and offensive zone time. This team is built for playing with a lead and winning in regulation. Playoff hockey doesn't have three-on-three or a skills competition. If you are a Dallas hockey fan, you probably this year aren't a fan of those NHL gimmicks costing your team valuable points in the standings. Five-on-five, Dallas, when playing to its team identity, is as good as anyone in this division. Dallas's overall analysis. Dallas had the best overall week of our Focus Central Division teams. They bridged the gap between the points and the games in hand on Nashville, but they didn't prevent Nashville from getting two points when playing them, and at 2-12 and 12 in overtime and shootouts this year, and it's climbing, I've already talked about the points left on the table for the other division teams that would, if half of them actually had gone to Dallas, have them around fourth in points, going into Saturday's action instead of being seven points back. The four games played in hand represent eight points, but Dallas ought to be closer with those games in hand still to play. This is the Central Division team not in the playoffs that should be. This is the team Carolina, Florida, Tampa Bay don't want as a fourth place team, and honestly, I think Dallas still can be the fourth place team going to the playoffs. Dallas GM Jim Neal stood pat at the deadline. That was the right play. Dallas's trade deadline acquisition will essentially be their returning all-star forward, Tyler Sagan, from injury to the lineup to bolster the team's top six. That will help with the loss of Alexander Radulov being out. Rookie Jason Robertson's play is another reason for optimism and knock on wood, so is the health of Rope Hints to this team's fortunes. But Dallas has the player personnel at every position to pull this out and get into the playoffs. And then whoever they meet is going to have the memory that this team went to the Stanley Cup Finals last year in the back of their minds as well. The Red Wings have been playing better of late. But the schedule for Dallas to make a run started with Columbus and their win Thursday against them. They played the team again Saturday. Then they have four versus Detroit. They have one more with Nashville that they need to get a regulation win in that game. And by the time they have the two remaining with Chicago, well, pretty sure only Dallas will be playing to get in unless Chicago figures out how to beat Nashville head-to-head this year. Nashville is in tough, even if you predict they sweep Chicago, and that's still going to be something that's difficult to do. Essentially, and really, maybe it could be said as Dallas slipped out of the playoff picture, having played fewer games and not going on a run, the playoff spot was theirs to lose. It's not for the others to win. Nashville and Chicago have had runs, and Dallas is due to have one, and if they get it, they get in. And that's from a standpoint of where Dallas is organizationally actually the logical turn of events. If they don't, I still will be high in my prediction of this team spot going into the upcoming season. 
come the start of the 2021-22 season. This team is actually in its window to win, and of the three focused teams battling for fourth in the Discover Central, they are the team that if the hockey gods balance out the misfortune, the ridiculous shootout overtime loss record for one, Dallas has more experience, talent, and depth of the three at goalie, defense, and forward than those other two teams do right now. For now, we have them after Nashville because of point percentage, but let's give this narrative of positive thinking. Dallas was the only one of the three focused Discover Central teams not to lose in regulation this past week. They have a five-game point streak, and they have points in eight of their last 10 games, five, two, and three. The team can win against the top-tier teams in this division, and they have a favorable but really condensed schedule. Dallas Stars hockey is ideal for playoff hockey, and post-trade deadline day hockey looks the most like playoff hockey in the regular season. That's something you should remember. Dallas has a goalie tandem playing good. They have the best top four and top six, and while like Minnesota playing in West, they may not have the goal-scoring power as collectively they have four NHL lines, that even in injury, still are a better 12 than most bubble playoff teams such as Nashville and Chicago currently, meaning Dallas as a team is better built right now than Nashville and Chicago. They are the only one of the three with a positive goal differential, and both the goals allowed and power play are top 10 metrics in the NHL. Let's expand on Dallas's team metrics. Dallas improved another ranked spot to 17th in consecutive weeks with 2.76 goals scored per game. The power play flipped spots at 24.4% going back to 6th from 3rd. Dallas is up a spot to 5th in goals allowed at 2.43. The penalty kill is the only one not in a top 16th rank league-wide, which is really the number of teams that make the playoffs. And it's 19th at a 78.5% kill rate. All of which basically has me saying the underlying numbers support that Dallas, if they can go on a run, is a team that probably can snag the fourth and final playoff spot still in this Discover Central Division. Dallas's useless factoid during the 4-1 win versus Florida, Dallas's stat for goal differential in the third period was ranked third best in the National Hockey League to that point. It may, with the plus two goal differential in that game, actually improve to even rank higher. It was a plus 18, so I think it's plus 20 heading into Saturday's game. Now, comeback wins can cause a team to have to score more in the third. We did point that out. That, in the games where Dallas leads, they still generate third-period offense while being stingy on the opposition defensively. For Dallas, when the team plays good, they build to play the best in the third. That metric shows the underlying numbers support it. Thumbs up. Jason Robertson deserves to be put here. Joe Pavelski is back scoring goals too. But the backbone of this team is its defensive play and how, on the back end, it contributes to the offense. Miro Haskinen, John Klingberg, Essel Lindell, and Jamie Oleksiak are the team's top four, and they absolutely deserve the majority of the credit for this. Haskinen and Klingberg are the two I would expect you to know. And defensively, Lindell is 
probably their best. This week, I want to give a thumbs up to Jamie Oleksiak as the fourth piece to what is an actual top four defense core in Dallas. Oleksiak scored a beauty and added an assist in the four games we covered. Averaged just over 22 minutes a game in the four games played we cover, slightly higher than his 20 minutes, 17 seconds time on ice per game for this season average. He had 11 block shots, including the six shot block game in this stretch. And although fourth behind the other three in points with four goals, six assists for 10 points, he is quietly still Dallas's best kept secret of the defensive top four group. His 65 shot blocks this season are second only to defensive stalwart Lindell for the team lead in that category. Thumbs down. Firstly, I'm putting coach Rick Bonus here instead of the players. Great coaches take the blame and protect their players, and Rick Bonus is a great coach who does this. So, as unfair as it is to put him in the thumbs down, I think he would appreciate it because it's the idea for why he's here instead of putting a player this week. My only issue is related to Dallas getting outplayed when playing four on four and given the team's lack of overtime success, that's while they're playing three on three. Coach Bonus needs to identify matchups that don't put him at a disadvantage when there is more room on the ice during this play. Speed kills, and that is best matched up with players who can play with speed. In Dallas, you have four capable defensemen that can play with speed. So I thought of an idea. Why not pair Robertson with two of your mobile defensemen and Hintz or Pavelski with the other pair? Actually play one forward, two defensemen, three on three, and keep speed a priority when playing three on three or in the game four on four. I think it will lead to better results. Haskinen and Klingberg are practically as good as a forward would be, and with the extra room on the ice, they could probably produce more. You can think, even upon Sagan's return, putting him with a pair of Dallas defensemen would look pretty good as well. Not sure I would recommend this for any other team, but with a top four mobile D group that Dallas has, well, it's the one team that it actually might be a difference maker by doing it. Dallas additional news, Thursday All-Star forward Tyler Sagan skated with the team and it was reported possible that he could return to action April 26th against Columbus. I was correct in saying GM Jim Nill stood pat at the deadline. The team did add a vet D-man via the waiver wire. Sammy Vantanen, 29, was claimed by Dallas off of the wire from New Jersey. 30 games played in Jersey, two goals, four assists, six points, while averaging 17 minutes, eight seconds time on ice. He has played two games since joining Dallas against Florida and Columbus, games covered in this week's podcast, in a bit more limited bottom pairing role for Dallas. It's a nice cost-effective D-depth addition by Jim Nill that costs the team no assets to obtain. Dallas also announced both goalie Ben Bishop Knee and forward Alexander Radulov abdomen would not return from injury this season. Forward Yol Kiviranta lower body remains on IR. Defenseman Mark Pesek lower body is day to day. Up next four games Saturday versus Columbus, Monday, Tuesday versus Detroit, 
Thursday at Detroit. Detroit and Dallas play four in a row against each other. We look at the first three in next week's podcast. The four will be a two home, two away once all four of those games are played. Columbus were sellers at the deadline, moving David Savard to Tampa Bay, Nick Felina to the overhyped other Canadian team, and also announced defenseman Zach Rowensky and center Boone Jenner were done for the season due to injury. They aren't pushing for fourth, but they still compete, as has Detroit, who have won three in a row, while I wasn't paying attention. So, as much as Dallas looks to be able to go on a run versus teams below 500, they still have to respect the opposition will come to play. As long as Dallas does that, I do think they can put together a much-needed win streak over the next stretch and build off the current five-game point streak. Regulation wins especially, thus avoiding playing extra time, would be most ideal for Dallas. We're going to take a quick break and look at Chicago when we return with more on Central Division Hockey, the podcast this week in our Discover Central and a touch of True North edition. Is inflation taking a bite out of your grocery budget? Andrews Federal Credit Union is here to help. Introducing our Inflation Buster Share Certificate with 5% APY for seven months, now through December 2nd. Bring your money to Andrews Federal Credit Union today. The Inflation Buster account must be open with new money. Andrews Federal Credit Union membership is not just for the military. We also serve the community. Visit andrewsfcu.org. Federally insured by NCUA. Membership eligibility required. APY equals annual percentage yield. Must have $1,000 minimum balance to earn advertised APY. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Sign up today and find out why nothing beats a win at the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app or go to BetMGM.com and enter code CHAMPION and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-888-532-3500. Welcome back to Central Division Hockey, the podcast this week in our Discover Central and a Touch of True North podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bigelow. We finished looking at the Discover Central with Chicago. Here's the expanded look at where Chicago sits in the Discover Central Division standings. Chicago 5'11", point percentage 6. Since the last podcast, 2-1-0. Overall, 20-19-5. 44 games played, 45 points, 123 goals for, 139 goals against, minus 16 goal differential. Chicago took care of the first two games of what will be a five-game road trip with a pair of wins in Columbus. Let's look at the game summaries. Saturday, April 10th, a 4-3 win at Columbus. 103 into the first, Columbus a goal. Point shot off Chicago goalie Kevin Lincoln and Glovin in. 2-10 after a Columbus goal off the forecheck, throwing net front, and it goes in off a Columbus player. 8-12, Chicago's Kirby Doc can't 
put it away. Net front on Columbus goalie Elvis Merzlikens. Chicago has a 5-on-3 power play. 8-47, Chicago's dock is stopped on that power play. 10-16, Chicago get a power play goal. Alex Debrinket on a quick passing play to the low circle for a one-timer short side. 2.58 left, Chicago goal as Carl Soderberg net front jams it in as Columbus goalie Merzlikens tries to go for a poke check. Two all after one. 2.03 into the second, Chicago Stabrinkin on a partial breakaway is pushed into Columbus goalie Merzlikens. 3.07 in, Chicago's Wyatt Kellenuck point shot wrister nets his first NHL goal as it crosses the goal line as Columbus defenseman puts it in. Columbus challenge for goaltender interference. It's deemed a good goal. Columbus take an additional penalty for the challenge loss. Columbus have a nine-minute stretch without a shot on goal in the frame. 11-18 left. Chicago goalie Lankinen stops Columbus on a breakaway. 3-20 left. Chicago goal set up on a perfect passing play. Started with a stretch pass. Dylan Strom finishes short side top shelf. 4-2 Chicago through two. 5-31 of the third. Chicago defensive zone turnover by Kalanick forces Chicago goalie Lankinen to make a glove save on Columbus shot from the slot. 6.45 left, Columbus, another slot chance stopped. Chicago plays keep away for a minute on a delayed penalty call till the 3.35 mark left in the game. 49 seconds left, Columbus get a goal. Short side from the dot as Columbus outshoots Chicago 14-3 in the third, and Chicago holds on to win 4-3. 28-26 shots, Chicago for the game, including a 16-7 shot advantage in the second. Chicago 1-5, for five, Columbus 0-1 for one with the power play. Chicago goalie Lincoln in three goals against 23 saves for the win. Monday, April 12th, a 4-3 overtime win at Columbus. 3-48 into the first, Chicago's P.S. Suter redirect chance. Columbus goalie Jonas Corpusello is forced to make a glove save on 558 left Columbus get a goal on a stretch pass for a breakaway that beats Chicago goalie Kevin Lincoln in roof glove side 335 Chicago get a power play goal as Duncan Keith's point shot one timer goes short side also Chicago defenseman Adam Boquist takes a puck off his face in the frame and did not return to play one all after one 224 Chicago get a goal as Columbus goalie Corpusello falls into his own net without any assistance. The puck goes off a Columbus skate and into the net in the paint. It is rule no goal as the refs say they blew the whistle. It's kind of a brutal call. 350 in Columbus is denied on a chance by Lankinen. 611 Columbus get a goal from the center blue line point shot a bullet goes bar down blocker side in defense of Chicago goalie Lankinen that point shot was a laser courtesy of Patrick Line that he had no chance on 848 in Chicago goalie Lankinen makes a good pad stop a minute 51 seconds left Max Domi takes a hooking penalty on Chicago's Connor Murphy realizing he's going to the box Domi cross checks and grabs and tosses Murphy down to the ice while trying to fight, and Murphy doesn't engage. Domi gets the original two-hooking penalty, two-cross-checking, and a 10-minute misconduct. I think Domi was found on a milk carton later, but he was not found on the ice for the rest of the night. 2-1 Columbus through 2. 6-15 Chicago. Goal, 3-on-2, Philip Kurashev goes far side and squeaks it past. Columbus goalie Corpusello 
early on in the play. Chicago's Patrick Kane knocks the puck down in the Chicago defensive zone with a high stick. It went uncalled as he collects the primary assist with a cross-ice pass upon zone entry for the goal in the third period. Consider the goal on the imaginary whistle forgiven. Things have a way of equaling themselves out. Two minutes, six seconds later, Brett Connolly gets his first goal with Chicago on a Columbus defense's own turnover at the Columbus Blue Line, and he scores five-hole, moving off the wall to the slot for the top-of-circle shot against the grain for the goal. 9-14, Chicago's David Camp is sprung for a breakaway at Columbus Blue Line, but he stopped blocker side. 8-28 left, Columbus gets a goal, line a second, as from his own defensive zone, he takes the puck up the ice, goes around Chicago defenseman Kelvin DeHaan, goes across the crease and outweights Chicago goalie Lankinen and tucks it in on the forehand. Highlight real stuff. 2-12 left, Chicago goalie Lankinen comes up with a glove save on a Columbus breakaway. 3-3 after 3, needing 3-on-3 OT. 125 and OT, a Chicago 3-on-2 has Brandon Hangel from the dot wrister net the overtime game-winning goal. Far side glove for the 4-3 OT Chicago win. 34-33, Chicago shot advantage. Chicago won for 3 on the power play. Columbus had no power plays. Chicago goalie Lincoln in 3 goals against 30 saves for the win. Chicago game perspective of this two-set series. Two road wins. The regulation win was the better game of the two for Chicago. They fell behind in both these games, and the games were tied after one, both of them. In the second, the regulation win, they scored two in the second. The overtime win, they fell behind and were down a goal after two. Still, we know Coach Jeremy Culleton doesn't care for style points because even Line's beauty goals only count as one goal against, even as pretty as they are hard to stop. Chicago took the four points, and as Columbus has fallen back out of contention for the final playoff spot, the loser point really won't factor in to the overall playoff picture. Chicago disappointingly dropped the first of two games next on the road trip against Detroit. Let's look at the game summary Thursday, April 15th, a 4-1 loss at Detroit. 8.50 in to the first. Chicago's Kirby Dock puts it off the short side post on a rebound off a post from an initial point shot that ricochets off a Detroit defenseman skate in the slot. 5.13 left Chicago goal. Duncan Keith from the dot pots a hard wrister five hole on Detroit goalie Thomas Grice. one nothing Chicago after one. 143 into the second, Chicago goalie Kevin Lincoln and makes a pad stop on a Detroit slot shot. 432, Chicago's David Comp draws a penalty, driving to the net shorthanded to put the teams four on four. 17 seconds later, Detroit get a goal on a point shot just inside the blue line on zone entry that goes off Chicago goalie Lincoln's blocker and into the net. That's a stop Lincoln needs to make. 648 in Detroit get tagged for too many men penalty. At 8.55, that Detroit player gets a breakaway flip pass as he comes out of the penalty box to score blocker side. 11.15, Detroit get another goal on a cross-seam pass to the backdoor net side for a tuck-in goal. 6.57 left, Chicago goalie Lankinen makes a save as a Detroit one-timer from the far side slot chance is stopped. 4.02 left. Detroit tagged with another too-many-men penalty that Chicago does not convert on 
the man advantage. Also, we just want to remind you, possession is not a requirement for a team to be called for a too many men penalty. This is one rule that a lot of people, and including myself, really don't understand. If the players are deemed to be involved in the play, the too many men penalty can be called. So, someone please tell talented color commentator from Chicago, Eddie Olchuk, and let him know. Because, again, a lot of people don't know that possession is not a requirement for that too many men penalty. Detroit pots three, two lead, three to one through two. 8.28 left in the third. Chicago's Vinny Henestrosa puts it off the glove side post from the slot. 2.48 left. Detroit on a partial breakaway, almost score, but Chicago defenseman Wyatt Kalanick goes into the net, dislodging it before the puck crosses into the net as well. No goal, but you kind of think that it might have been looked at a little closer upon review if it were a closer game. Kind of felt like that goal should have counted. Either way, they didn't do a review. It didn't count. 126, Detroit does add an empty net goal to win 4-1. to 28-25 shots for Detroit. Chicago 0-3. for 3. Detroit 0-1 with the power play. Chicago goalie Lincoln in three goals against 24 saves in the loss. Chicago game perspective. Full marks to Detroit especially for going 3-for-3 on the penalty kill. Lankinen let in a soft goal. However, the breakaway, as Detroit penalty had expired, wasn't on him, but the power play unit that allowed the breakaway to happen in the first place. Besides the too many men penalty, well, actually, even with them, probably it's the best I've seen Detroit play. I can't say the same thing for Chicago in this game, and considering Nashville lost that same night, the Thursday, and Chicago really had a chance to close ground with a win, the loss to the last place Discover Central team felt like a missed opportunity. Chicago's overall analysis, the 10-game stretch I talked about over the last two podcasts is six games in with four left. This was the stretch, I think, Define Chicago's season. They went one for two in that first week. This week, two and one. Now, three, three and zero oh through this key first six of the ten. I said they really needed to be seven, three and zero oh with the schedule they will have left to finish the season. I don't think you need to be a mathlete, and I'm not one to be certain. Chicago needs to win out over the next four, and they just lost in an uninspired attention-to-detail performance to Detroit while getting average-at-best goaltending. Let's say I'm going to be surprised if they can win the next four. The Saturday second game in Detroit, hopefully they can rebound and get a win in, but without having won a game versus Nashville, 0-3-2, the three after are with Nashville. Like I said, with the schedule after 7-3 and 0 or 6-3 and 1 at the worst is what I would want Chicago to be as far as having a shot at the playoffs in this season. So it really does come down to finding a way to beat Nashville and pretty sure it'll take three regulation wins. Getting a loser point actually can't come in the games versus Nashville, meaning even if they win in overtime, Nashville gaining points does not help Chicago at all. This season, that head-to-head is simply going to be the difference, unless with three wins, Chicago can be 3-3-2, three, three, and two, but you realize Nashville would be 5-3 and three for the season series. And after Lankinen's last week where Chicago needed four goals to win in both games over Columbus— 
he allowed three, and then they drop the game to Detroit. Well, if you didn't listen to how many games lately UC Saros in Nashville has allowed more than two, and you look at the season series between the two, and you kind of think that the gig is up for Chicago's playoffs aspirations for this season. By the way, Saros has only allowed more than two in one in a stretch that we're talking about. As for GM Stan Bowman, we will give him full marks. As I talked last podcast of taking on right-winger Brett Connolly's contract from Florida, and I've watched Florida versus Chicago, Dallas, and Nashville this year, and honestly, Connolly wasn't on my radar in his bottom six role in Florida. He comes in and scores a goal in his first game. For a bottom six player whose contract has outlived his top six role, he can still make a contribution in the bottom six. And while wearing number 20, I hope I wasn't the only one that for a moment temporarily forgot it wasn't Brandon Sod on the ice on the wings for Chicago. However, the deadline was about assets. Still, Connolly can play some minutes as an additional vet. And that was smart as Chicago GM Stan Bowman dealt center Matthias Janmark to Vegas and veteran Carl Soderberg to Colorado. Janmark's time in Chicago, he was a good contributor. And my guess is that he is going to find success in Vegas too. Soderberg wasn't as impactful. However, as a fourth line center option and a net front presence, he also contributed to Chicago this season. For Colorado, it gives them a legit additional top six center if they have injuries. And they also never replaced center Vladislav Nemestikov's departure when he signed with Detroit. Considering for GM Bowman, they were off-season additions really to address the long-term IR hole that couldn't be replaced in Captain Jonathan Taves and Kirby Doc's World Junior Championship injury. He added them at good value contracts. Coach Jeremy Culleton utilized them well while they were there, and then he packaged the expiring contract pair for more assets. Nashville GM David Poyle might want to be taking some notes right now. Now, the pickup of Vancouver's Adam Gaudet is similar to Connolly's, yet Gaudet may still have some game left in him as well that actually a change of scenery, coach, and system could rejuvenate. Time will tell. Let's say Gaudet at times while watching Vancouver play Winnipeg was more noticeable than the departed Matthew Highmore was in his bottom six role that Brandon Hagel's play made expendable as the player gone in that deal. Here's why GM Stan Bowman won trade deadline day of our focus central division teams of the four in this podcast. He turned a pair of vets on expiring deals that he signed late in the offseason into picks from contenders. Meanwhile, he picked up some vets on more expensive deals to replace them while grabbing additional assets for doing it. The on-ice team may not be better, but it's comparatively not much worse, and all the deals picked up assets and picks. Really, you've heard I'd rather Dallas, not Nashville, make the playoffs just on account of GM David Poyle in Nashville not being as transparent as Chicago GM Stan Bowman about the expectations of the team as he was for the Chicago fans. GM Bowman's approach should be applauded, whereas the continued false narrative in Nashville does have an expiry date. 
Chicago needs to get a legit NHL starting goalie to replace Corey Crawford. But everything else here is a great mix of youth, Stanley Cup vets who are well coached. Playoffs or not to me, Chicago had a great season for a team committed to rebuilding and being transparent about being committed to rebuilding. The deadline, they stayed the course correctly while Nashville missed the same opportunity completely. Chicago's team metric, Chicago is up a ranked spot to 18th with 2.75 goals scored. The power play is at a 24.1 success percentage, and that dropped a spot to 7th league-wide. The team's goal allowed is 3.11, and that's tied for 21st and down a ranked spot. The PK remained 30th overall with a 73.5% kill rate. Chicago does rank first in the league in fewest penalty minutes taken at 6.3 per game. That would help special teams power play goals against not costing them games from a volume perspective. The metrics saved for the power play really aren't those of a playoff team for Chicago. And that metric continues to cool off. Chicago remains second last in shots on goal allowed an average of 33.1 per game. Kevin Lankinen has to play better in net than of late down the stretch because he has to be able to outright win Chicago games because the metrics say that he has to. Chicago's useless factoid. With Wyatt Kalanick's first NHL goal being scored in Chicago's 4-3 regulation win this past week in Columbus, he became the fourth Chicago rookie of six this year to get his first NHL goal, but the fourth one to do it against Columbus. Thumbs up Alex DeBrinkett, who put away his 21st goal of the year to lead Chicago in a two-point game in the 4-3 regulation win versus Columbus. For sure, credit needs to go to Patrick Kane for a lot of those amazing setups, but you still got to finish them, and DeBrinkett and his rebound season is a guy who has. Thumbs down goalie Kevin Lankinen. In this stretch over the last two weeks, he had all six starts going 3-3-0 for a 16-12 four mark for the year. It's not bad. It's not great. This is a push for the playoffs time and time to elevate your game. So far, he's been average. A 2.79 goals against average and a 9.14 save percentage with two shutouts. Over the last seven games played, only in one game did he allow less than three goals per game. Why I don't like Chicago's odds playing against Nashville, who's had their number, and Saros, who has allowed three in one game over a longer stretch. Otherwise, he's allowed two or less. Goaltending is a key position to winning in the NHL. Chicago needs a stretch of above average goaltending as soon as possible. In additional Chicago news, defenseman Adam Volkust concussion and defenseman Kelvin DeHaan hip are both on IR of active Chicago players that have been playing this year. Newly acquired center Adam Gaudet is out. It's not injury related, but may have a set quarantine time before being eligible. And of course, coming from Canada, whether that's longer or not, that stuff I don't know. We weren't really told the timeline. The group of players that haven't played because of long-term injuries at all include Jonathan Taves, the captain, Zach Smith, Alexander Nylander this season, and Andrew Shaw was added to it after 14 games played 
due to concussion. Up next, three games for Chicago, Saturday at Detroit, Monday at Nashville, Wednesday and Friday versus Nashville at home. As mentioned in the Nashville segment, we will look at the first two games of the head-to-head between Chicago and Nashville in the next podcast. Three must-win games for Chicago, and they need a complete flip of the script for Nashville. That's what's required if they're going to make the playoffs this season. Switching countries, but staying in Chicago's time zone and the same hockey league. Let's finish the podcast with a touch of true north as we look at Winnipeg. Winnipeg, 648 point percentage, second in the North Division since the last podcast, 3-1-0. Overall, 27-14-3, 44 games played, 57 points, 144 goals for, 117 goals against for a plus 27 goal differential. Winnipeg completes the two-game set Saturday with a dominant win in Montreal on the big Hockey Night in Canada stage. And we got that wrong. Proving just when you think you have this team figured out, you don't part one. Let's look at the game summary. Saturday, April 10th, 5-0 win at Montreal. 3.46 into the first, Montreal forehand net front shot is stopped by Winnipeg goalie Connor Hellebeck. 3.05 left in the scoreless first, Winnipeg's Jansen Harkins is stopped on a partial breakaway by Montreal goalie Jake Allen. 7.20 in, Montreal goalie Allen gets a piece of Winnipeg Kyle Connors point shot. It goes off of the crossbar and the rebound is stopped. 10.13, Montreal goalie Allen makes a poke check on Winnipeg's Pierre-Luc Dubois before a breakaway chance. But Paul Stansney buries the rebound glove side with Allen out of position. 3.07 left, Winnipeg's Andrew Kopp is stopped from the slot on a power play. 3.02, Winnipeg get a power play goal off a face-off win. Point shot by Nick Ehlers that goes glove side with Matty Perot timely doing a screen skate by net front. Montreal's coach challenge. It's a good goal upon review. Montreal gets an additional penalty. 45 seconds left. Winnipeg's KC is stopped going to the short side. 29 seconds left. Winnipeg defenseman Derek Fortbert goes down the wing to the low circle as Winnipeg keeps possession after that power play expires and he puts it short side roof late in the period. 3-0 Winnipeg through two. 119 into the third. Winnipeg Statsny gets a breakaway on a Montreal defenseman falling, but he can't beat Montreal goalie Allen. 644 in Montreal center point shot is stopped by Winnipeg goalie Helbeck. 717, Winnipeg get a power play goal. Cop in the slot goes glove side off a faceoff win set play. 755, Winnipeg's Josh Morrissey and Montreal's Jake Evans get five for fighting. 1042 in Winnipeg, goal on a Montreal defensive zone turnover in the slot. Perot scores roof glove on. Winnipeg, Goy Hellebuck makes 19 saves for his second shutout in the 5 0 Winnipeg win. 25 19 shots for Winnipeg in the game. Winnipeg 2 for 5. Montreal 0 for 3 on the power play. Winnipeg game perspective Winnipeg started slow and Hellebuck made early saves in the game. The three goal second included a power play goal and one that was ozone time pressure that was continued from a power play they didn't convert on. Winnipeg went two for five on the power play and took control of this game in the second frame. At the time, it extended Winnipeg's win streak to three games, including the set of two against Montreal that started the road trip. Winnipeg then splits the two on the road in Ottawa, a loss to end the win streak at three, followed by a win against the North Division basement dwellers that should have been both wins for a long win streak for Winnipeg, right? You would think that. 
So part two of just when you think you have this team figured out, you don't. Let's look at the game summaries. Monday, April 12th, a 4-2 loss at Ottawa. 4.44 into the first, Winnipeg can't jam the puck past Ottawa goalie Anton Forsberg on the power play. Five minutes in, Winnipeg power play goal, Kyle Connor from the dot on a one-timer short side bar down. 8.25 in, a Winnipeg goal as Nick Ehlers, 2-on-2 off the rush, does a crisscross inside the Ottawa defensive zone upon zone entry with Paul Stastny and fires the puck glove side to wrist screen of an Ottawa defenseman and then. 8.32, Winnipeg's Logan Stanley fights Ottawa's Josh Brown, who exactly, not sure, instead of Brady Kachuk fighting for his flagrant elbow on Winnipeg captain Blake Wheeler in the team's prior meeting that put Wheeler out with a concussion ever since. 11.03, Ottawa get a power play goal, a shot from the dot off of a Winnipeg defenseman and off an Ottawa forward and in. 1.42 left, Ottawa get another goal, slot wrister goes off of Winnipeg goalie Hellebuck's glove cheater and in the net. 2-2 after one. 8.02 into a scoreless second, Winnipeg stats the net side, can't jam at short side, on a backhand. 8-10 left Winnipeg goalie Hellebuck stops an Ottawa backhand on a breakaway. 6-32 left Cops net front tip on the power play is stopped. 2-10 left another Winnipeg power play tip is stopped. 55 seconds left Winnipeg goalie Hellebuck makes an Ottawa breakaway and rebound save combination. 6-03 into the third Winnipeg defenseman Tucker Pullman is stopped from the slot. 10-10 in. Ottawa get a goal. A bouncing puck from outside the blue line creates a bad rebound. That is backhanded up and in. 6.38 left, Ottawa net front tip in the paint is stopped. 5.38 left with the teams playing 4-4, four four, Ottawa steals it from their blue line for a breakaway goal far side glove from the hash marks for the Ottawa 4-2 win. 26-24 shots, Winnipeg Winnipeg 1-5, for five, Ottawa 1-2 for two on the power play. Winnipeg goalie Hellebuck, 4 goals against 20 saves in the loss. Wednesday, April 14th, a 3-2 win at Ottawa. 119 into the first, Ottawa opens the scoring on a Winnipeg blue line turnover breakaway that beats Winnipeg goalie Laurent Brassois, blocker side. Winnipeg gets the equalizer at 324. Nick Ehlers stops up and curls to make a cross crease pass to Mark Scheifele backdoor for a Winnipeg forehand tap short side goal on Ottawa goalie Matt Murray. 821 left Winnipeg's Andrew Kopp as a penalty expires, keeps on a two-on-one but can't score. 1-1 one, one after 1. 129 into a scoreless second. Ottawa hits the short side post. 448 in. Ottawa steals in the Winnipeg defensive zone, forcing Winnipeg goalie Brassois to make a glove save. 207 into the third. A Winnipeg power play goal. Matty Perot from the dot. Short side with a water bottle puppin' wrister. 355 in. Winnipeg's Kyle Connors partial breakaway backhander stopped by Ottawa goalie Murray. 939 in. Winnipeg shorthanded goal. Trevor Lewis out hustles Ottawa to the puck in the Ottawa defensive zone and goes roof glove on a breakaway after Winnipeg goalie Brassois stopped a net side stuff attempt by Ottawa just prior. 527 Ottawa goalie Murray denies Winnipeg Shifley driving the net with the puck as he tries to cut across the crease. Under two minutes left, Winnipeg has three shots on a power play opportunity. They don't convert. 15.8 seconds left with Ottawa on a five-on-three power play with the extra attacker 
playing, so six on three for Ottawa. With 10 seconds left, a point shot one-timer goes short side roof for a Ottawa power play goal with that 10 seconds left. 3-2, Winnipeg holds on to win. 35-29 shots, Winnipeg. Winnipeg one for three, Ottawa one for five on the power play. Winnipeg goalie, Brassois, two goals against, 27 saves for the win. Winnipeg's perspective on this two-set versus Ottawa. The loss is disappointing unnecessary and an end to the three-game win streak for Winnipeg on an off night for Connor Hellebuck and Nett and everyone in front of him playing not much better. After getting up two goals in the first, Winnipeg let Ottawa back into the game and then didn't play well enough to deserve to win it. In the win, a solid showing from backup Laurent Brassois and a pair of special team goals, a power play and a shorthanded goal, is enough for the regulation win. Winnipeg wasn't full marks in their loss, nor in the win in Ottawa, and some guys showed up, some guys didn't, and Winnipeg picked up some of the available points. Winnipeg finishes the road trip on back-to-back games against the overhyped other Canadian team the night after playing the second with Ottawa. The overhyped other Canadian team doesn't have to play on back-to-back nights, and Winnipeg wins convincedly against the North Division first-place team completing the road trip trilogy just when you think you have this team figured out you don't part three let's look at the game summary thursday april 15th 5-2 win at the overhyped other canadian team 325 in winnipeg goalie connor halbeck finishes making three quality saves 341 in the overhyped other canadian team looks to put it off the post play continues until the horn brings it to a stoppage indicating a missed goal the puck went in, blocker side, top corner. It's a good goal. 5-13 in, Winnipeg's Paul Stastny's jam attempt, net front rebound, doesn't go. 7-34, Winnipeg's defenseman Dylan DeMellis takes a cross-checking penalty while Winnipeg is shorthanded, giving the overhyped other Canadian team a 5-on-3 power play for a minute and 11 seconds. Winnipeg is able to kill the penalties off. 10-36, a former Jet now on the overhyped other Canadian team's defense takes an interference makeup call because those never happen, right? Nine seconds after, Winnipeg gets a power play goal from the top of the circle. Nick Ehlers puts it five hole with Matty Parole providing a screen. 27 seconds after, Winnipeg get a goal from Kyle Connor on a two-on-one with Mark Shifley, whose cross-ice pass sets it up. 2.42 after Winnipeg goal, Shifley on a breakaway backhand tuck up on the backup goalie of the overhyped other Canadian team traded for from LA at least a year or two ago at the deadline, somewhere around there. That ends his night, three goals against three saves. The deadline deal goalie the overhyped other Canadian team traded for from Calgary this year comes on in relief. 3-1 Winnipeg after one. 6.47 into the second, an overhyped other Canadian team goal on a pass from the corner for a deflection in the paint. With 3.15 and 3.08 left respectively, Winnipeg's KC and Shifley are stopped on power play chances. 3-2 Winnipeg through two. 5.34 into the third Winnipeg goal as Ehlers knocks the puck out of the Winnipeg defensive zone, and then on the forecheck against the double M of the M&Ms, the one that played this game, just so you know what I'm talking about, Ehlers gets his second of the game as he steals the puck now in the overhyped other Canadian team defensive zone and pokes it through the five hole on the unprepared relief overhyped other Canadian team goalie. 504 left, Winnipeg's Andrew Kopp is stopped on a breakaway by a glove save, 144 left, 
Winnipeg goalie Hellebuck holds down the gardens from the weeds as the overhyped other Canadian team get offensive zone pressure. 37 seconds left, Winnipeg's KC gets his second goal with an empty net goal for the Winnipeg 5-2 win. Winnipeg is outshot 33-24, Winnipeg 2-3, for three. the overhyped other Canadian team 0-4 for four on the power play. Winnipeg goalie Hellebuck, two goals against, 31 saves for the win. Winnipeg game perspective. Back-to-back games for the road team, Winnipeg, at the end of a five-game road trip. Well, sounds like a home schedule advantage for the home team to take advantage of, and they don't. After a brief quick start, Winnipeg found its speed game and got to a comfortable lead before the first period had ended. Connor Halbeck did the rest, especially on the 3-1, 15-5 shot disadvantage for Winnipeg in the third period. A two-point regulation win over the North Division-leading first-place team in their digs. Winnipeg's overall analysis. Last week I said somehow Winnipeg needs to go 3-1-0 to stay in the race for top spot. I think Winnipeg goalie Connor Hellebuck plays Saturday, Monday, and Thursday while Winnipeg backup plays the second game in Ottawa. They accomplished that. However, I won't pat myself on the back for the prediction. That's, as I like to often say, finding comfort in the vagueness of your horoscope as predictions go. I didn't specify who the wins or loss would come against because just when you think you know this Winnipeg team, you don't. But they still kind of find mysterious ways to accomplish the overall objective and they are always good for style points when winning and leading candidates for misplays of the week when losing. And without a lengthy win streak, they can park the plane on only losing two in a row in regulation once this season pretty sure Winnipeg is a playoff bound team and likely to have this level of consistency that has the team just under top spot when the dust settles on this year's regular season. When you look at the team's metrics for the week, a little later on we will, they are near cup contender consideration both in the offense and yes, defensive metrics as far as goals allowed and goals scored. Though the league's least appreciated NHL D group is probably better than everyone wants to admit. Yes, we can name a few defensive groups I'd rate higher. And we could name a lot I wouldn't want instead of the one Winnipeg has currently. While there wasn't a top four addition to this defensive group by GM Kevin Dayoff, what I refer to as the Dustin Bufflin replacement one, knowing full well, that would require Marvel Comics to actually do. There is only one big buff but there are a few of the next best things to buff still playing around the league i want to blame the deadline deadline day to the nhl's point system that as i record this has every team still mathematically not eliminated from the playoffs that includes ottawa buffalo anaheim they still can mathematically make the playoffs then two of the divisions had what two three legit teams in races for fourth place Tis the trade deadline to stand pat. GM Kevin Dayoff actually was in on what limited action there was, as his post-deadline day presser said, at least between the lines. Nashville's Matthias Ekholm wasn't moving from Nashville, we know from David Poyle. Neither was St. Louis's Colton Pareko. Vancouver came down with COVID, and I'm going to return to the Vancouver team. Arizona thinks they are making the playoffs, and stood pat too. Dallas with Jamie Oleksiak, and Dallas thinks they're playoff bound, and they may actually be playoff bound. Jim, Kevin Cheveldayoff can't pry loose 
any of those upgrade to the defense. Add my speculation that Anaheim defenseman Josh Manson didn't want to play in Canada and instead stayed in California as why he didn't move. Those left on your D trade board list, Columbus's David Savard, who was like having an additional Derek Forbert, who isn't playing as good as Forbert, who Winnipeg already has. And I think Chevy was in on that, but Tampa Bay's offer won out. And the usually great poker face of Chevy hinted at missing out of a deal for that reason, not putting enough chips in to get the trade done. Pretty sure that's the one he was hinting to. The specific need and the ask and the limited dance partners is why Winnipeg didn't make a deadline splash. It's not from their GM not trying to do it. That's the takeaway. And I think Chevy charted the right course when the ones that he wanted weren't available. He did add Vancouver's bottom pair vet defenseman Jordy Ben, who I wouldn't have added at first look. But taking a bit of time, and I don't have much time to take to think about it, I remembered Lucas Pisa was grabbed off of waivers as the season began by Nashville. That's a vet who can play his off wing, can come in after sitting in the press box, and provide adequate bottom pair minutes that Nashville grabbed. He wasn't replaced by Winnipeg either. So, well, I wanted, say, Alex Edler from Vancouver. Not sure he was a guy Van was wanting to part with. Could have been COVID-related. Maybe not. With, for the same reason I would have wanted to have Edler. Vancouver might want to keep him. And especially after dropping the ball on keeping Chris Tanev in the offseason in free agency, they may just want to hold on to Edler because he's still with them. If Winnipeg fans can think of Jordy Ben as the backup insurance Lucas Spiza was then you have the right mindset. Did bringing back Spiza move the needle in the offseason? No, nor was it supposed to. Ben at the deadline isn't meant to do that either, but it's a D-man who's played in 31 games played this year and knows the exact role that Spiza was, meaning in Vancouver, Ben can play, sit out games, come back in and play, and that's what the Jets were looking to do with that late addition. Now, I could go on and on to explain the whole defense in Winnipeg. Kulikov out, Forbert in, and for now, no replacement for the irreplaceable Dustin Bufflin. That's the one thing I don't see of a Stanley Cup team in Winnipeg. Everything else is in place. And yet, with injuries or a Winnipeg playoff run with few to none of them, Winnipeg actually ices the best lineup against who they play with who they have. How about this? Can Florida win without cornerstone defenseman Aaron Ekblad now injured? Or Colorado without top four defenseman Eric Johnson in the mix? Well, they are going to have to try. As will this almost to me complete Stanley Cup contender Chevy built try to. Winnipeg's team metrics. Winnipeg is up a league spot to tie for sixth in the league and goal scored at 3.27 per game. The power play is up to a tie for second from fifth at 26.7% while missing first unit player captain Blake Wheeler. The goals allowed is up two rank spots, ninth at 2.61. Consecutive rank improvements in the goals allowed improving. The shots allowed is 31 per game. That's 20th. The PK is at 81% kill rate to stay 12th. At 7.3 penalty minutes per game, Winnipeg has the ninth fewest per game league-wide. Those rankings league-wide are 
comparable to the other teams that you often hear in the Stanley Cup contender conversation. Winnipeg's useless factoid. Someone at the NHL scheduling department momentarily forgot Winnipeg isn't part of the GTA and Winnipeg received a blessing with the readjusted schedule. As I mentioned, Winnipeg doesn't do win streaks or losing streaks, so when the three home set versus the overhyped other Canadian team became a two-game set and a game to end a season as it is currently adjusted to be, well, the probability that Winnipeg can win a pair and a one-off versus a set of three is real. I just don't think Winnipeg would have won all three if they remained a three-game set. Thumbs up, Mark Shifley. It was said on Twitter by someone whom I don't remember to properly give a shout-out to, my apologies if you're listening, that Winnipeg doesn't give as much credit and adulation to team point leader and first-line center Mark Shifley as the rest of -of out-of-market media and fans probably do. And that's kind of true. Think about it. Even as Kyle Connor and Nick Ehlers both now over 20 goals for the year, are often raved about within Winnipeg. And until this year, the team also had Patrick Laine that everybody talked about. Mark Shifley, who is, to me, Winnipeg's Nashville comparison to Matthias Ekholm, a guy the home team takes for granted you absolutely don't win without. And without him, how long did Winnipeg's playoff play and run last year last? It didn't. He is currently on a six-game point streak, including the four-game played we cover in this podcast. In those four games played, Shifley had two goals, four assists, six points for his team leading 52 points in 45 games played. 17 goals, third on the team, 35 assists, first on the team. Thumbs down the third period in the 4-2 loss at Ottawa. Ottawa outshot Winnipeg 10-5 basically 2-1 to one in that last period after Winnipeg outshot Ottawa 14-7 by that same 2-1 to one margin in the scoreless second with the game tied at 2. I'm all for quality over quantity in the shots on goal. However, Winnipeg has periods where they don't generate enough scoring chances to score goals to win games, which with the top six that they have on this team and 12 group forward four lines they have, should never happen. The 4-2 loss to Ottawa's third period is a good example of when they don't generate. In other Winnipeg news, Winnipeg agreed to a five-year $16.25 million extension with Adam Lowry the afternoon as I was getting to record this with an average annual valuation of $3.25 million as it relates to cap purposes. Lowry, 28, has spent his entire seven-year NHL career with Winnipeg. In 44 games played this season, he has eight goals, 12 assists, four 20 points. He has been often used as the third shutdown line center, as Coach Palmieri says, playing against the other team's best. Listed day-to-day is Captain right-winger Blake Wheeler with a concussion. Long-term IR has left-hand defenseman Nathan Beaulieu upper body of players who have played a game for Winnipeg this season. Center Brian Little, head of the players who didn't play and won't play a game this season, sadly, is the other player out. Up next, two games Saturday versus Edmonton. Thursday, Saturday versus the overhyped other Canadian team. I say two games because we're only going to look at the first two games Winnipeg plays against the other overhyped other Canadian team in the next podcast. Don't tell the CTRC, but this Winnipeg schedule, I think, falls below the 30% Canadian content rule because it doesn't have at least three games in the week. Although, 
I will cover the next two games in the next pod of the upcoming three, as I mentioned. I will just say I think Winnipeg goes 2-1-0 and in the three, but I'd be guessing on how they end up 2-1. and Winnipeg's divisional rivals in under two minutes. The overhyped other Canadian team remains atop the North with a 6.82 point percentage after the loss to Winnipeg. They are 6-2-2 in their last 10, and they have a pair with Vancouver who will play them first out of their Corona stoppage pause. That hit them the Vancouver team hard, and then the overhyped other Canadian team have a pair with Winnipeg after that. The cushion on first spot isn't as large as it was now this week. Edmonton sits third by point percentage at 619 point percentage. They're five points back of Winnipeg with two games in hand. Montreal remains fourth at a 563 point percentage and are 12 points back of Winnipeg, although they do have four games in hand. The four holding playoff spots continue to have plus team goal differentials, while the three outside looking in the North Division have negative ones. Notably, Montreal has Calgary closer to them, but three games in hand. Montreal and Calgary play Friday night as I record this, so those standings reflect going into Friday night's game with that lone North Division game that will have been completed for sure before this podcast is posted. And I keep thinking Saturday because that's when the uh, Central Division teams uh, all resume play. Calgary is on a current three-game win streak heading into Friday night's game with a 477 point percentage. They are four points back in Montreal. Vancouver resumes play with a 473 point percentage, 10 points back in Montreal, three games in hand on Montreal, and six games in hand on Calgary. Ottawa's point percentage dropped a bit. They remain seventh in the North Division at a 364 point percentage. They mathematically are not eliminated from the playoffs. Final podcast thoughts. Thanks for listening to Central Division Hockey, the podcast this week. Discover Central in a touch of True North Edition. Thanks to Adam Lowry for reminding us that good players in the NHL still value playing for one team, playing in a small market, and wanting to play somewhere most people think no one actually wants to. A select few of the franchise and fan bases in the NHL, none of which we cover, but a few big market ones, could learn population size and hype don't guarantee Stanley Cup championships and why the NHL competitively is a great league to follow. Congratulations to Adam Lowry on his new contract. you like to come home to a bartender who will fix you any cocktail you want i'll have an old-fashioned i'll have a margarita now you can 
with the Bartesian Home Cocktail Maker. Bartesian is a sleek machine the size of a coffee maker that makes premium cocktails at the touch of a button. Choose from over 50 different cocktails, from classics to the most exotic premium cocktails served in the best bars today. You'll always get freshly mixed, perfectly balanced cocktails with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. And now, get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever at bartesian.com slash holiday. Entertaining? The Bartesian is ideal for parties. No need to stock all kinds of individual mixers for complicated recipes. Every guest gets the cocktail of their choice in seconds. The Bartesian makes a wonderful gift for anyone who loves a fine premium cocktail. Now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever. It's available right now, only at bartesian.com slash holiday. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com slash holiday for Bartesian's best deal ever. Only at bartesian.com slash holiday. Tired of long waits and rushed care at the ER and urgent care clinic? Next time, stay home and let Dispatch Health bring the power of the hospital to you. I call Dispatch Health. A care team of medical professionals actually come to your house. They're the same caliber of people that you would see if you were at a hospital or an urgent care. Dispatch Health can treat most non-life-threatening emergencies. They can do the x-rays, they can do stitches. Urinary tract infections, blood tests, urinalysis, ultrasound. It's almost everything that they can do at the ER. You never feel rushed. They're there for you and only you. I felt like their only patient. And it costs no more than a trip to urgent care because Dispatch Health is covered by most insurance, including Medicare. See if we serve your home at DispatchHealth.com. Dispatch Health really went above and beyond. It's wonderful to have care come to your home. House calls are back, and they're better than ever. Learn more at DispatchHealth.com. 